Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. Delighted to have you back with us once again. We are looking this week at lesson number seven as we continue our journey through this quarter's studies on being in the crucible with Christ. We're delighted once again to have back with us the author of the Sabbath School lesson, and that is Gavin Anthony. Gavin is currently serving as the president of the Iceland Conference. Gavin, welcome back. Thank you. So let's take a look at this week. We're looking at indestructible hope. That sounds hopeful. It sounds optimistic. But there also sounds like there's a little bit of, uh, is ominousness a word? We're going to pretend it's a word. Uh, Ominosity. It sounds a little ominous here because it's indestructible. Where are we going this week? Well, we're going to talk about hope. And I think if we give the the conclusion before we begin, hope is indestructible because God is with us. And we're really focusing here that I can be hopeful, you can be hopeful, our friends at home can be hopeful because God is present. But that's what we struggle with remembering that he is present because oftentimes when we're going through this stuff it's difficult god appears to have disappeared but the good news is like you just said he he is there let's take a look at the big picture sunday's lesson in the story of habakkuk what can we learn from it yes habakkuk is is a, a fascinating story my first sermon ever i think was on habakkuk chapter three uh, which is a song a psalm which comes after for two chapters, he's been wrestling. Um, if I back up maybe a little bit, um, there was a, an African proverb that I learned some years ago that says, when two elephants are fighting, it's the grass which gets trampled on. And sometimes we feel like we're a bit like grass. There's some stuff going on and we're caught up in the middle of it. And Habakkuk feels very much caught up in the middle of some horrendous things that are going on. In the opening of of Habakkuk, in in chapter 1, he is lamenting the violence and the corruption, the arguing uh, and the fighting. And he essentially, he says, God, how long do I have to put up with this? And I'm sure Habakkuk was saying, God would say, or hoping that God would say, okay, I can see this terrible mess. I'm going to come and help you. He says the exact opposite. He says it's actually going to get worse because I'm sending the Babylonians to you. Uh, We pick this up in chapter 3. So Habakkuk is is obviously wrestling and struggling with this reality of it's bad, it's going to get worse, and God's not coming in to save me. But what we have in in chapter 3 in this song is this picture of God's greatness, which is similar... Uh, interesting perhaps parallel to what we see in Job which we'll come to soon but in the middle of this here we have Habakkuk's conclusion verse 16 I trembled inside when I heard this my lips quivered with fear my legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us so he's now talking about the promise of God coming to destroy those who are coming to destroy him, the Babylonians. And here we have verse 17. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there is no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in the God of my salvation. 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I mean, he's just sort of going off. He's just in awe. Uh, But remember where he is. It's really bad. God said it's going to get worse. But because God has now revealed himself as a God of, of promise, and he is going to come in, he will sort out this problem, he can rejoice. And of course, we're in a similar situation. It's bad in the world but it's going to get worse. So how can we have hope when we know it's going to get worse? And Habakkuk gives a little bit of a key to that. And so Habakkuk's comfort and peace and hopefulness can be ours as well. And that's a hard thing for us living today to to grapple with, or or I say us, especially people who don't have a, a biblical background, a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. We see what's happening in the world today and we go, it's terrible. It's horrible. What can we do to make it better? How can we make it better? And they strive and they effort on effort to make it better. And well, there's nothing wrong with trying to make life better. When we have a a picture in our minds of where things are going, well, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Ultimately, it's going to get a whole lot better. But between now and then, as you said, well, the Babylonians are coming to to paint a picture here from, from Habakkuk. So there's, there's challenges, but there's also hope. You, you also have a, a story uh, about Budapest, I think, that you were, were yes. mentioning. Um, again, we're focusing, focusing on the idea that, that no matter how bad things are, because God is with me, he's present. But again, we forget that. There was one time I remember many years ago when I was in, in Budapest and I, I was really struggling with some stuff and I felt a lot of pain and anguish. I didn't know what God was doing and I didn't know how to solve it. And I thought, okay, I'm going to just take a day and fast and pray. And I thought, I'm not going to do anything this day until I, uh, God tells me what to do. I wasn't sure where this was going, but that was where I, I started off. And so I sat in my room and I thought, okay, what am I going to do? Um, and I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try and worship. Job worshipped in his anguish. I tried to sing. I just burst into tears. Uh, That didn't work very well. Um, I wondered what to do for a little while. I went and sat on a couch and I sat there and I I looked across my hotel room and there was a chair and I suddenly thought God could be sitting there. And I just burst into tears because more of the reality of my own um, foolishness in, in feeling alarmed when God could be right over there in that chair. And then I thought for another moment, and there was, uh, there was a, another chair uh, a bit closer, and I thought, well, God could be sitting there. I burst into tears all over again. You know, how can I be, be so foolish if God is so close to me? Why am I worrying? And then I, I was sitting on a sofa, and I thought, God could be sitting next to me. And the thought came directly to my mind, no, I'm close enough to carry you. And that just really brought deep into my own experience the reality of God's presence. And no matter what, he is present with us. The pain we feel does not mean that God has gone anywhere. So pain is a common factor in our existence and severe pain in many of our existence. 
it brings to mind the story of Job. Job went through more than many of us are going to have to deal with in life. Some of us maybe maybe rival him. But he went through a lot. And yet he was able to come through. What was what was some of his dialogue? I don't even know if we can call it dialogue that he had with God. There was a a conversation, perhaps a one-sided conversation that took place that helps us to understand who God is. Yes. The book of Job is amazing, um, and it's, it illustrates a quotation that I've had in the back of my mind for many years from a book written by Oswald Chambers called My Utmost for His Highest. And he says this, Have you been asking God what he's going to do? He will never tell you. God does not tell you what he is going to do. He reveals to you who he is. Now, Chambers is generalizing a little bit to make the point, right? But this idea is, is, you know, we have questions. We want to know what's going on. We will not necessarily know the answer to those. But God will reveal to us who he is. And this is what we have in the book of Job. So Job is a long book. It goes on for many, many chapters. And there's not a whole lot of great stuff. And we don't hear many sermons from the middle of Job. It's either the beginning or the end. But when we get to chapters 38 and 39, suddenly, with all these discussions that are going on between Job's friends and so on, God appears and he asks 60 questions in a row without stopping. God is just asking one question after another question I mean, he, he begins, you know, who is this that obscures my plans and words without knowledge? And, and then he asks these questions and Job replies, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once but have no answer. Twice I will say no more. But then God asks another set of questions. And there are all these massive questions like, you know, where were you when I made th- this? And You know, can you sort out the Leviathan? I mean, they're all questions that are are made to make Job feel small, or, or not really that he's made to feel small, but to build up this massive picture of who God is. And so we get to the end of Job, and Job never gets, as far as we can see, a really answer an answer to the question. We don't understand. He doesn't understand the the supernatural dynamics that are going on. What Satan is doing. He he doesn't understand why his children have died and all of his possessions have gone away. But we leave the book of Job with this huge picture of God in Job's mind. And that picture of God is enough for Job. That's what gives him peace. So he goes through a lot, things that he doesn't understand. And yet it, he's still able to come out of there at peace with the situation it sounds as if somewhere along the line he learned how to trust God. He learned how to, to accept that what God allowed was best for him. Until we meet Job in heaven, we won't understand all the dynamics of what was going on. And, and he probably had some questions and, and some issues. But We've been talking about the picture of God being enough. Uh, another picture, Isaiah forty-one thirteen, just a, a text that has always encouraged me. He says, 
For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. That is a verse we're going to unpack here in just a moment because there's a lot in there. So stick with us. We are going to be back in just a minute or two, but I want to encourage you, if you haven't already done so, make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath school lesson. It is called The Refiner's Fire, of course, by Gavin Anthony, our guest this week and each week this quarter. Again, the book The Refiner's Fire by Gavin Anthony. You can find that at itiswritten.shop. Again, that is itiswritten.shop. You'll find a lot of other fantastic Bible study resources there as well that will encourage you in your faith. We're going to come back and look at this text in Isaiah in just a moment. We'll see you back in just a minute. Planning for your financial future is a vital aspect of Christian stewardship. For this reason, It Is Written is pleased to offer free planned giving and estate services. For information on how we can help you, please call 800-992-2219. Call today or visit our website, hislegacy.com. Call 800-992-2219. He had it all, extravagant wealth, immense power, and wisdom far greater than any person before him. He'd seen the glory of God, had spoken personally with God, and was told by God he could have anything he wanted. But as his focus shifted over time, his life collapsed. As he contemplated his existence, he concluded that all was vanity. Don't miss great characters of the Bible, Solomon, as we look at the story of the wisest man who ever lived, a man who wrote three books of the Bible, a man who was revered by monarchs and feared by his enemies, the man who constructed what may have been the most beautiful temple ever built and yet turned away from faithfulness to God. But God didn't turn from him. The story of Solomon is a tragedy and a victory. Don't miss great characters of the Bible. Solomon, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm here with Gavin Anthony. He, of course, is the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. And we're taking a look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 41 and verse 13. We, we read that a moment ago, but let's get some context to help us understand that a little bit better. Well, of course, the book of Isaiah is written to essentially a people who have gone through exile and are suffering. Um, but in the middle of God's um, declarations of judgment, you have these promises that he gives them. And again, these are verses that I have just, that have been so important to me, really encouraging. Isaiah 41 verse 10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And remember that God's saying, speaking to rebellious people yet even he is willing to embrace them and pull them back to himself and give such affirmation of his love for them and then a couple verses later verse 13 he says for i am the lord your god who takes hold of your right hand and says to you do not fear i will help you and i mean often i've thought about 
God holding my hand. I mean, I mean, imagine this. This is what God says. I will hold your hand when you're going through the difficult stuff. When you have been rebellious and you come back to me, I will reconcile. We will hold hands and walk through life together. Someone, when I was at college, said, uh, when God seems far away, who's moved? And I think that's, that's again, that's our problem. Uh, we're going through this stuff. We've done our little rebellious thing or, or whatever. And God is far away, and God is just, he's just eager to grab us back and hold our hands and walk with us. So it's up to us whether or not we want to accept that invitation, whether we want to take his hand in kind. And, uh, and he leaves that up to us. We talked about that a few weeks ago, about the, the opportunity that we have to, ex- to, uh, to use our will, to exercise our will in, in grabbing a hold of him. So he's not leaving us. He's not abandoning us. He knows what we're going through, and he wants to guide us through that. He wants to lead us through it. He wants to wrap his arm around us and take us through these, these challenging times. It sounds like he's got plans for us, hopefully good plans. Well, well that's the thing. When God is present, it's not, not just his power, but it's also his plans. And this, this became really clear to me one time. I had gone through a long process, a very painful process that had been going on for a couple of years. And I had been feeling really broken. God had come in and done something quite miraculous in my life. And then it was a Friday evening. I remember it very, very clearly. I was walking to my senior pastor's house. I was working as an intern at the time. And I'm walking in the darkness. And, you know, as I said, for some years, I've been going through this terrible process where I felt that I had been abandoned. I'd messed up. Some things had gone terribly wrong. And, and you know, where was God in it? And what, what was my role? I was walking in the darkness. It was a railway track. It used to be a railway. Now you could walk on it. Pitch black. And as I'm walking along, I suddenly heard a voice say, be still and know that I am God. And I was absolutely shocked. I just stood there, rooted to the spot and looked up. And, you know, it's funny. <laughs> you just Instinctively, I just said, well, God, what do you want me to know? I just knew it was God. And, uh, and, and he says, I have plans for you, plans for you to prosper. And I remember it because I knew it was a Bible text, but I didn't know where it was. <laughs> And it actually took me some time to actually find it. But I remember walking, finally getting to the, uh, my senior pastor's house and um, his wife opened the door and she said, what's happened to you? Because my face was just beaming. I was just so, so overjoyed at this idea that God was present enough. I could hear him speak and he was giving me this assurance of plans for my life. It hadn't been messed up to the point of being unredeemable. And so Jeremiah 29, which is where this verse comes from, and I want to read these verses. Um, and again, we're talking in the context of exile and rebellion from God. And, you know, Israel have not been doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, which is probably the norm for Israel and for us. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you hope and a future. In those days when you pray, I will listen. 
if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's amazing. No matter how off the track I may go, God is willing to get me on board again. And his plans are not necessarily plan B plans. They're his plans. They're for our good. And because of his presence and his plans with us, we can be hopeful. It reminds me of the story of the, of the young man who wandered away from home, spent his days in riotous living, and eventually came back. His father didn't shoo him away or kick him to the curb. He ran out to him, embraced him, and, and brought him in and celebrated. And so God wants to do that with us as well. We go through some challenges. We go through some trials and tribulations, many of them that we bring on ourselves. And yet God is there to to wrap his arm around us and, and to bring us in. He has plans for us. He has hope for us. He has encouragement for us. And it kind of leads us into Thursday's lesson about how God leads us sometimes in ways that we may or may not necessarily appreciate. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some interesting insights. Yes, this again is one of my favorite chapters and it it really taught me a unique or or a new perspective for me when I, I first read this. It gave me a handle on what God is doing and why God might be doing some stuff. And again, I think it fits very much into this context of hope because when we undergo some of the trials, maybe because God is trying to refine us, we begin to lose hope because we feel, oh, I I shouldn't have done this. I'm a lost cause. But no, God can redeem all of these things. And if we, we kind of go bit by bit through this passage, Hebrews 12, starting at verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. Because we feel often like giving up. It's difficult. It's tough. But he wants us to remember that it's him at work. And in one sense, it doesn't matter where the pain comes from. When I yield to God in it, God can redeem that pain. So verse six, for the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? So, I mean, in this chunk here, you know, he's paralleling his behavior with our earthly parents. We would never think that our earthly parents are being mean when they are disciplining us. Actually, uh, my mother would tell the story that one time I I, I said to my, my mother that I didn't think she disciplined me enough. I'm not sure what I was thinking at that time. But the fact is that our parents discipline us and we appreciate. We can see this. There's an objective here. And God is doing exactly the same thing. He's saying that he is is working as a father who loves us very much. And verse 10, we get to some of the kind of the meaty bit here. 
For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Okay, so now we've got going back to purpose. What is some of the purpose of this painful discipline that we can share in his holiness? Well, what does it mean sharing in his holiness? It goes back to Romans 8.29, that we are being conformed to the image of his son. To be holy is to be like God, to be like Jesus. So this is where all of these things, God is trying to shift things to get us to that point. Now, here's the clincher as far as I'm concerned. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. Okay, well, thank you for telling me this. (laughs) And it's very clear. It's not going to be easy. It will be painful. But then he continues, but afterwards... There will be a peaceful harvest of right living or righteousness, depending on a translation, for those who are trained in this way. So here we have this really interesting dynamic. Painful discipline now. In the future, not necessarily right now, because I'm still getting to grips with some stuff. In the future, it will lead to righteousness and holiness. So I have to be able to have that perspective of maybe we call it the gritting your teeth perspective. (laughs) Okay, God is at work. I'm going to hold on because the other side of this, this is going to lead to growing in maturity in Christ-likeness. And that is something I can hang on for. So we may not be able to see the future clearly, but if we can trust God, then we can know that he has good intended for us in the future, even though we may be going through some challenge, even though we may be um, going through some trials and tribulations that he is involved in allowing us to, to have. I wonder, Gavin, if, if we have some folks who are watching, who are listening, who are going through the crucible right now, and they're wondering whether God is there, and they're, they have hope, but they're not sure if their hope is indestructible or not if you might have some words that you might share with them and a prayer that you might pray with them. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the core of this is don't give up. Don't lose heart. God is present. And remember that your hope is not based upon your feelings. It's based upon the reality of God's presence with you. He is the hope. It's not me that has the hope. He is the hope. And so hang on. And to help us hang on, to help me hang on, I get on my knees and I pray. So if you're going through some tough stuff and you're in need of hope, please pray with me. And dear Father, wherever I go, wherever we go, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, teach us how to see you, to see you present with us. Fill our minds and our hearts with a longing for you, not just the things that you can do for us, so that our hope may be unshakable and immovable because you are present and we can depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Gavin, thank you for helping us to understand how we can have indestructible hope as well. And thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you join us for lesson number eight next week here on Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. God bless you, and we'll see you then.